Why, good morning. It is good to see you all uh, this fine uh, morning. Um, I got a comment on the game last night. Uh, congratulations to you guys and you Buckeye fans. Uh, as uh, I was watching the game uh, last night, uh, finishing stuff up for Sunday, for today, and uh, my wife was sitting on the other couch, uh, holding the baby, putting him to sleep, and uh, as they were heading to halftime, uh, as Ohio State was down 21-7, to they, they took a view of the crowd of all the Buckeye fans, and them just all depressed and thinking it's the end of the world. And my wife started laughing and said, I like to look at all the people of how miserable they are about such a silly game of football. Uh, and she, she clearly doesn't understand. Because uh, she doesn't care a lick about football. And she thought it was comical that people spent hundreds of bucks to go to this game and for them to be all depressed and sad. But I do have to say, she is slowly starting to understand the game of football more and more. Last night, uh, we had uh, the opportunity to talk about uh, why Ohio State players had stickers on their helmets. Uh, we also got to discuss uh, why the Ohio State fans held up their shoes in, in the crowds. So she's un understanding the important things of football, stickers and shoes. What more does she need to understand? But uh, so this morning, uh, we're continuing our series uh, all about Jesus as we're transitioning into uh, the Christmas season, season. And getting ready for the Christmas season is a lot of fun, uh, as it's a lot of fun to get into the Christmas mood. Uh, we get to spend a lot of time with family. Uh, we have Christmas music. Who doesn't love Christmas music? There's Christmas movies. Uh, raise your hand if you love the movie Elf. Yeah, that's the, the best Christmas movie in the world. Uh, you also get Hallmark Christmas movies. Yes, uh, I'm a fan of those Hallmark Christmas movies, embarrassingly. Uh, you get time off of school. You get time off of work. You get all the Christmas decorations. And most people are just in a holly, jolly Christmas mood. I mean, who doesn't enjoy the holiday season? Now, with all that said, with all the joyous festivities of the Christmas season, it's often easy to miss the reason of the season. And we know that the reason of the season is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, now, again, Jesus was born uh, 2,000 years ago. So why are we still celebrating the birth of someone who was born 2,000 years ago? And, it, and it's basically a world, nearly a worldwide celebration. Why are we celebrating the birth of one man who was, who was born 2,000 years ago? And that's what we've been talking about. Uh, last, last week we started the series all about Jesus. As we're discovering that this man, Jesus, is very, very special and he's very, very important in the grand scheme of things. Last week, uh, as we started the series, we took a look at how Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only birth, the only begotten Son of God. When the Jews, when they were seeking to put Jesus to death because of the, the movement and the revolution that he was causing, the Jews were seeking to put him to death, and their, their final accusation against Jesus to put him to death was that he was the Son of God. They said that he, he's claiming to be the Son of God, and all the other Jews were riled up, and so they sent Jesus away to the Roman uh, government, to Pontius Pilate, to, to eventually have him crucified. But that was the final accusation that the Jews had against Jesus, was that he was the Son of God. They recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, it would have been so easy 
to have Jesus crucified if they could have gotten Jesus to admit that he was God the Son. But they couldn't because Jesus didn't claim to be God the Son, but Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God. A, a careful distinction we have to make there that Jesus was the Son of God and it would have been so easy for the Jews to have Jesus killed if they could have Jesus confess to the Romans that he was God the Son. But no, he, he is the Son of God. And that's what we took a, lot, took a look at last week. Uh, one reason and why we celebrate the birth of Jesus because he is the, the only birth son of God. He was birthed by God's Holy Spirit. He was conceived by God's Holy Spirit. Nothing short of a miracle. And so this morning, as we continue our, our series, as we're talking all about Jesus, because back in the summer, we did a series all about God. We saw how God is one. We took a look at his attributes. We saw how God is personal and, and so forth. We were, starting, we're, we're going over the series all about Jesus. And this week, we're going to take a look at how Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And that shouldn't shock many of you guys. But I do have to say, disclaimer, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Let me say that again. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. That, that sometimes is a huge misunderstanding in, in Christianity that Christ is the last name of Jesus because everybody always says Jesus Christ. No, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Rather, Christ is a title, just like when we're talking about God. God, that, that's not really his name. His personal name is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, but his title is God. And Jesus, that's his personal name, Jesus of Nazareth, but his title is Christ. And so we, this morning, we're going to have to take a look at what does this term, what does this title Christ mean? Well, Christ comes from uh, the Greek word Christos, um, and, uh, there's a he- and it's the same as the Hebrew word mash- Mashiach, Uh, which means uh, Messiah. So Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. You often may hear me talk about Jesus being the Messiah. You may often hear me talking about Jesus being the Christ. Well, it's the same thing. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. And they both mean anointed or anointed one. So when we say that Jesus is the Christ, or when we say that Jesus is the Messiah, we're saying that Jesus is the anointed one. He is the anointed one of God. Now, many of us may be wondering, well, what does anointed mean? We, we talk about Christ and Messiah. We, we, we de- declare that those titles refer to Jesus being the anointed one. Well, anointed is basically a fancy word. We have a lot of those fancy words in, in Christianity that we use a lot in the church, but we don't really use elsewhere. And a lot, a lot of times they're just fancy words for other uh, more common words we could use. And anointed is basically a more fancy word uh, for uh, chosen or for selected. Um, So basically, uh, in in a dumbed-down term, uh, Jesus is the selected one or the chosen one of God. That's what we're saying when Jesus is the Christ. He is the selected, he is the chosen one of God, as Jesus is the anointed one. In the Old Testament, uh, they would often anoint uh, a number of people for uh, different positions. They would anoint priests, they would anoint prophets, they would anoint kings for, for their certain tasks that they had at hand. They would specially assign, they would specially choose and select a person to fulfill a certain task. 
I mean, we see that Aaron and the books of the law, Aaron and his sons were anointed as priests. They were anointed with oil. In the Old Testament, when they were to anoint someone, uh, they would anoint them with oil. They, they would pour a flask of oil on their head. They'd be dripping with oil. Now, oftentimes today, people, you, you may be anointed with oil uh, by someone dipping their finger in oil and, and, and putting it on your, rubbing it on your forehead. Has anybody done that? Has anybody had uh, oil rubbed on their head as, as a meaning of being anointed? A couple people I have. Um, but in the Old Testament, they, they would take a full flask of oil and pour it on their head to anoint them, to, to signify that they are the selected or chosen one for this job. And as I mentioned before, Aaron and his sons were anointed to be priests. Elisha was anointed to be a prophet. The high priests were anointed with oil. Saul was anointed with oil to be king of Israel. David was anointed to be king of Israel. And those are just a couple of examples of the people who were anointed, who were chosen for a particular task in the Old Testament. It it was a common practice um, back then, back in the Old Testament. But Jesus, when we're talking about Jesus being the Christ, the anointed one, the anointed one of God, the chosen one of God, well, well, what exactly what Jesus was Jesus chosen to be? And as, we, as we're going to take a look this morning, Jesus was chosen to be the Savior of the world. That, that, that is quite a, a, a big title, a, a big job, a big designation for Jesus to be the Savior of the world. That, that's what God anointed. That's what God chose Jesus to do. That was his position. That was his office to fulfill, the Savior of the world. Because uh, I think we all can agree that this world needs some saving. Um, so for thousands of years, uh, the Jews were looking for the M- Messiah. They were looking for the Christ, as there were promises of the anointed one. And this hope and this promise of a special person, the special one of God, the special Christ, the special Messiah, goes all the way back to the very beginning. All the way back to the very beginning, people were looking for this Messiah, this Christ, the special one of God. Because in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and we know that story of God creating uh, the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Um, and, but the t- first two people that God made were Adam and Eve, and I hope this is uh, ringing uh, some bells for you, as you may be familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, and they lived in the Garden of Eden, uh, which means delight, so they lived in the Garden of Delight, and Adam and Eve, uh, they only had one rule, one rule in their life was that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was their one single rule that they had in life. Many of us are thinking, man, that would be nice to only have one rule in life. Well, they only had one rule in life, and that was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, unfortunately, uh, there was a serpent who, who came onto the scene who we, who we learn uh, from Revelation 12.9 uh, was actually the devil or, or Satan. Uh, the serpent tempted Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And again, many of us are probably familiar with the story. And so Eve, she, she took uh, of the fruit of the tree and woman, she ruined it all. Men, the woman ruined it all for us. No, not, not necessarily the case because us men, Adam, partook of the tree as well. So man and woman, they sinned together as they broke the one and only rule 
that God gave mankind. And that only rule was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And both man and woman broke that rule as both Adam and Eve uh, took part of, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so finally, there was sin entered into the world. Before that, there was no sin and with no sin, that, that meant there, there was no death as they had the tree of life. There was no death, there was no sin, there was no mourning, sickness, crying, or pain. There were no issues with the world. God had a perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. And they broke, they ruined that perfect relationship by eating of the fruits of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we can go pointing our fingers at Adam and Eve, but we all know that if you tell a kid, hey, don't eat a cookie from that cookie jar, you know sooner or later they're going to take a cookie from the cookie jar. That, that's human nature. We do what we're told not to do, and that's exactly what Adam and Eve, so you do all your finger pointing you want to do, but I bet you, given enough time, we would all make that same decision and taking of uh, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so sin, enter, sin entered into the world, death entered into the world, and God cursed both the serpent and Adam and Eve. And, and the curse that God gave to Adam was basically that he would have to work for his food. Uh, I, I imagine we have a handful of farmers in here. I know, I know the burners are, are big into the farming. You know, farming, it, it's hard work. You can thank Adam for that, as the curse that God gave to Adam was that you'd have to work for your food, and you'd have to sweat and toil for your food. The, the curse that God gave to Eve was that he is to multiply the pain of childbirth. All you mothers can be, be dissing, dissing Eve, my, Jamie, my, my sweet darling wife, who, who gave birth to my child uh, just over a month ago now. Doesn't seem like that long ago, uh, but she can blame Eve uh, for that curse. As I hear, uh, giving birth to a child is quite painful. But I have heard also, now I'm probably going to get some woman mad at me. But I have heard also that kidney stones are more painful. So I, I'm not going to say one way or another. But I have heard that, and I have had a kidney stone in my life. But again, I didn't say it; someone else said it. Yeah. <laughs> And so, so that was the curse for Adam, and that was the curse for Eve. But God also cursed the serpent. And if, we have your, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We can also find, uh, if you're curious, the, the other curses for Adam and Eve. But in Genesis chapter 3, in verses 14 and 15, uh, we get to see the curse that God had for the serpent. And so it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, that's Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So what I want to take a look at there, uh, importantly, is that last phrase there. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The question is, uh, who is the he? And, and the ESV uh, puts it quite calmly, that he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Um, but the, I like the NIV. It says that he shall crush your head. I don't know if any of you guys' translations out there, but I know of the NIV at least it says that he will crush your head. And so the question then is, who is that he? Who is the offspring of Eve 
that is to crush the head of the serpent, who we, who we find out later is, is Satan and the devil himself. Well, we find out later on, spoiler alert, that that he, that person, that offspring of Eve is Jesus. Is Jesus the Christ, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one chosen by God. This passage here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is known as the Proto-Evangelium. Uh, that, that's the fancy word for first gospel. This is the first promise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just in the third chapter, in the very beginning, we have a promise of the anointed one. We have a promise of the Christ. We have a promise of the Messiah. And so for thousands and thousands of years, the Jews were waiting and looking and searching and hoping for this Christ to come, the Messiah to come. And with that said, a lot and a lot of people came along claiming to be the anointed one of God, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the Christ. And there were lots of people who came along claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the Christ, but they all turned out to be false, well, except for one, uh, as, as we'll see here. Um, but a couple of examples of how ridiculous uh, these false messiahs, these false kings were. There was this man, Joseph Frank, uh, who claimed that he was the re reincarnated form of King David himself. How foolish, I imagine, he sounded to other people. Uh, there was another man, Simon Bar Kokhbah, who was a legendary figure who could crush a rock with his foot. How legendary was this Simon Bar Kokhbah? For all the matter, he was defeated in war, in the Second Jewish-Roman War. So he turned out not to be the Messiah. There was this Moses of Crete. This one cracks me up a bit, which is probably not a good sign on my part. Uh, but he persuaded the Jews to walk out onto the Sea of Crete, just as Moses in the Old Testament did to return to Israel. Uh, obviously, the results were disastrous as he uh, had this following and led people to try and walk on the water. Bad of me to find that a bit comical. Uh, there was another one, Serene, known by many names. He was captured, and as he was captured and, and uh, being tortured, he, he later renounced his, uh, his, his brave uh, defiance, his brave term that he was the Christ. And these are just a couple of examples of all the many foolish, messi false messiahs that came along the way claiming to be the anointed one of God. And, and so the Jews for thousands of years were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this Messiah to come, and there were many false, false prophets to come. But between, the difference between all of these false messiahs and the man Jesus himself, well, besides all of the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the teachings that Jesus had, the one main difference that Jesus had with all these other false messiahs was that after all these false messiahs died, their revolution came to an end. But when we're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, as we talked about last week, when Jesus died, on the third day, he was resurrected from the grave. And Jesus' death was just the beginning. It was just the beginning of this movement, of this revelation as Jesus, as the Christ, whereas all these other false messiahs, their death was the end. But with Jesus, when we're talking about the Son of God, his death was just the beginning as right now he, he's ascended into heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus' resurrection proves that he truly was the Christ. He truly 
was the Messiah. He truly was the anointed one of God. As all these other false messiahs came, uh, claiming, claiming they could crush a rock with their head, claiming they were the reincarnated form of King David himself, they all died, and that was the end of the revolution. That was the end of people believing that they were the Messiah. But with the man Jesus, the Son of God, his death was merely the beginning. As we all know the story of the crucifixion and that on the third day, the tomb was empty as Jesus victoriously rose from the grave. And that resurrection alone proves that Jesus was indeed the Christ. He indeed was the Messiah. He indeed was the anointed one, the chosen one of God, talked all the way back in Genesis, talked talked all the way back from the very beginning, he truly was the Christ. He truly was the selected one of God. And God had a plan to use Christ all along. Throughout the very beginning, as we see in Genesis chapter 3, but we also see, if you have your Bibles, you, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, as it talks about the, the plan that God had for Jesus all along from the very beginning. And 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 17, Peter writes, and he's saying, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Here Peter uh, says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 20, says that he was foreknown, that he is Jesus, that he is the Christ, that Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. In other words, God knew from the very beginning, before God even formed this earth, before God even formed the heavens, God knew, God foreknew that he was going to use Jesus Christ. He had plans of this anointed one from the very beginning. That tells me that from the beginning, God knew that we would need a Savior that leave it to man, that we would mess things up. And that we, as God's creations, we would need a savior. We would need someone to come to this earth and to fix all the problems that we have created. And that was the job of Jesus, as he is the savior of the world. From the very beginning, before the beginning, God foreknew Jesus. God knew what he was going to do with Jesus Christ. And, and this plan that God had for Jesus was great, as it talks about uh, that we are, we are blemished. We have sin in our life, and we talked about before that the wages of that sin is death. And so we need to pay for that uh, punishment. But it talks about here in 1 Peter that Christ is the ransom. Christ is the payment. His death on the cross is the payment for that. 
His death on the cross reconciles us to God. Reconcile, another one of those fancy Christian words uh, that we use. Reconcile basically meaning that you're fixing a relationship. Because in the very beginning, God had a perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve broke that perfect relationship. And ever since then, God has been planning and working to fix that perfect relationship, to reconcile that perfect relationship that he had with man. And the key instrument, the key person for that plan was Jesus Christ, Jesus the Anointed One, the one chosen before the beginning of time, before God even formed the heavens and the earth, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for Jesus so that God could reconcile us to himself. This last passage that we'll flip to this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about the beautiful reconciliation between us and God himself as Jesus is the key, he's the instrument to this reconciliation. So it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here Paul puts it so beautifully that through Christ, through the sacrifice of the crucifixion of Christ, we are reconciled with God. Our relationship with God is restored. We can have that perfect relationship with God again. I mean, you, you can't make this up. The, the story goes full circle. Where in the beginning, Adam and Eve, and man, they, they had a perfect relationship with God, and, and man ruined that relationship by sinning. And so God cursed uh, uh, Adam and Eve and the serpent, and there was sin, and that perfect relationship was broken. And, but God had a plan from the very beginning God had a plan that he was going to use the Christ to fix that relationship. And so uh, thousands of years after Adam and Eve broke that relationship, Jesus died on the cross so that we could be reconciled with God. But that's not the end of the story yet either because Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of God. But one day, Jesus is going to come back to this earth and Jesus is going to establish his father's kingdom here on earth. And when Jesus establishes his Father's kingdom here on earth, we will indeed again have a perfect relationship with God. We will be reconciled to God as there will be no more sin, there will be no more death, there will be no more pain or crying or sorrow, for the former things will have passed away and we will have a perfect relationship with God for the rest of eternity. And that is only made possible through Jesus, who was the Christ. Basically, Jesus being the anointed one, the chosen one of God. Only a sinless man, only the sinless son of God can make that possible for us to be reconciled back to God. 
And so as we talk about, last week we saw how Jesus was the Son of God. Today, Jesus is the Christ. He was the chosen one of God. And from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for the Christ. God had a plan for the Messiah who, who turned out to be Jesus of Nazareth. And this Jesus, this Jesus Christ, died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God himself. And one day, one day as Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, one day Jesus is going to come back, he's going to descend from heaven to earth and establish his Father's kingdom here on earth. What a joyous day that will be. Can I get an amen? When we will be reconciled with God and we will have a perfect relationship with God and his coming kingdom. That is the hope that we have as Christians. Because of our Christ, because of the Messiah, because of the anointed one, we can have a perfect relationship with God and his coming kingdom for the rest of eternity where death will be no more, neither will there be mourning nor crying or pain for the former things will have passed away. That's the hope that we have. Are you guys ready for that? Yes, I'm ready for that. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for uh, this day. Father, I thank you for the promise of your coming kingdom. Father, we just pray that that day comes soon. Uh, we pray uh, that your son uh, comes back to this earth to establish your kingdom here on earth. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, which grants us eternal life. Father, we thank you that you had a plan all along that you were going to use your son, the Christ Jesus to reconcile us back to you. And Father, we long for that day where we, where we will spend eternity with you in your coming kingdom. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.